And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. The Athletic. Well, in case you missed it, amid all the handshake drama at Stamford Bridge and Manchester United's deepening crisis and the endless carousel of new arrivals at Nottingham Forest, things have been getting very interesting for Ralph Hasenhutl at Southampton. There's reports of player unrest, a bloated squad, there's an entirely new coaching staff, uh, and many are predicting that they could be relegated this season. Joining us for a closer look at this, Flo Lloyd-Hughes and The Athletic Southampton reporter Jacob Tanswell. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to The Athletic Football Podcast. It wasn't even his way or the highway. And you see when Slams were losing 9-0, it's often just him on the touchline on his own, hands on hips. This is bigger than Hassan Hoot or what we're discussing. Back then there was talk of Bayern Munich being interested. Dortmund had a, had a view. What is it that you bought the club for if it's not to try and push them higher up the table? Right, let's get straight to it then. A 4-1 defeat at Tottenham on the opening day before rescuing a point at home to Leeds on Saturday. It's his fourth full season in charge for Ralph Hasenhutl. So, is he under serious pressure already, Jacob? I think he is. I think it's for the first time in his Southampton tenure where there's not much credit in the bank anymore. I think it's the combination of the end of last season because they went away to Spurs in February they won 3-2 and that was seen as the best of Ralph Hasenhutl. After that, they won 1-12 in and then the pressure's on. And at the end of the last season, the hierarchy, Sports Republic, the new owners had a decision to make. Whether to part with Ralph after three, three and a half years or completely overhaul his coaching staff. And they actually took the more complex, more difficult route of getting rid of all his first team coaching staff and bringing new players in. Uh, bringing new coaches in, sorry. So... Although it seems like they're putting their trust in, in Ralph, you just feel amongst the fan base that support is is turning because Southampton fans have seen this all before. You know The fluctuations in form have been so volatile in, over the last couple of years. And if it continues like this, especially with the young players that Southampton have got now, which you know you would assume will be even more inconsistent, then are Southampton going to stay afloat for another year? I think, um, I'll come on to the young players and the coaching staff in, in, in just a moment, but it probably is relevant, Flo, isn't it? As Jacob has alluded to, that this isn't just about a start of this season because I, you know, I think several teams are going to get thrashed at Spurs this season, and and you know, Leeds are going to be a test for teams. So it's not it's not really on the first two results. It's probably on some heavy defeats towards the end of last season, a two-one defeat at home to Crystal Palace, which sounds that, but that feels like a really momentous result to me for some unknown reason in towards the end of Southampton season. Yeah, I mean, Jacob can probably give us the exact stats, but across the last 10, is it six defeats, Jacob? Something like that? Yeah. Um, so if you include the end of last season, it's pretty poor. And I can understand why Farron's a little bit frustrated. And also, you've then got the optimism of new owners that come in and you see what new owners are doing elsewhere, the money that clubs are spending elsewhere. I mean, not just new owners, but look at what Forrest are doing. Forrest have a reputation in the EFL as being a club that hoards players. And they've kind of continued that in the Premier League by spending an absolute 
absolute fortunes if you're seeing clubs coming up and investing in um, you know, not not necessarily just older players, but players with probably a bit more status, a bit more experience playing in top leagues and, and a bit more kind of top uh, playing time, then you're probably going to look around and think, well, I'm feeling a bit frustrated with the fact we've got the same manager, so many ambitious appointments in terms of leadership positions that, that excite me, but then we've still got this really kind of long-term vision of buy low, sell high mentality, which is obviously really sustainable for the club. And, you you know, you've got that Brentford influence there already. But in the here and now, is that going to keep them in the Premier League? It's unclear, really. You're right, because, you know, you've got Maxwell Cornway and Emmanuel Dennis, who Slampton fans wanted. And the fact is, Slampton weren't really in the running for either, either of them. I just think fans thinking, come on, let's get a proven Premier League striker, but it seems like at the moment the player that they've been linked to is Liam Delap, who's you know great potential, but he's not played in Premier League yet. So although these players could turn out fantastic, and I'm sure they they will do, fans want a proven product at some point. So it's going to be difficult. Slampton fans are looking at hierarchy because they've actually spent money for the first time in four years. The old owners did put a pound into the into the kitty. They've actually put money into this, but the fact is they've spent it on a lot of teenagers who have got vast potential. But given where Slampton are, because they're not exactly stable, are they? It's quite precarious and it's not perhaps the best environment or the best conditions to you know grow these those young talents. And also, I think there's an element of, of being burned before now by looking at, at really uh, successful prospects from the EFL. Um, you know, look at Adams and Armstrong, who in the championship were unbelievable forwards, but haven't managed to match that up in the Premier League. So if you're also a fan who's seeing your club dive into the EFL once again to try and get goals, then you'll probably think, look, we've, we've been there and we've done that and that hasn't worked. How do we mm. know this time's going to be different when other teams are going around and spending 20, 30 million on getting a forward from Europe who they think can get them double figures? Adam Armstrong's a particularly interesting case because I've spoken to a lot of people about him and the fact is Shea Adams came in two years before that and he scored 20 goals like Adam Armstrong did at Blackburn and then it took him a lot of time to even bed in and even now, you know, the fact is Slampton open to selling him so it's not exactly worked out wholly. Adam Armstrong just seems a carbon copy. He scored two goals in his first season and it looked like he was going to be going out elsewhere this summer. There's plenty of championship clubs wanted him on loan. So the problem is, is that Slampton keep buying these players that aren't known quantities in the Premier League and you know you're not going to have a 100% success rate every single time are you so it is a difficult conundrum but Slampton are trying to be ahead of the curve they're trying to be a little bit more innovative than other clubs because they haven't got the money to spend so they're trying to think outside the box hence why you see Romeo Lavia, Tino Levermento who have you know seen really really good prospects but they just need that experience to perhaps supplement their progression too. But but here's the thing in all in all of that five six seven minutes because of the structure of the club, none of that is on Ralph Hasenhutl. Because there are two things here. Talking about Adam Armstrong and Che Adams and previous transfer policies isn't on the new group and the new head of recruitment and the new owners. And the current philosophy, again, isn't necessarily... I'm sure Hasenhutl has an input in all of this, does he, Jacob? But in mm. the main... They are the modern model of recruitment and analytics and this and that and the other, and there's your head coach. This is bigger than Hassan Hootel, what we're discussing. 
It is, but what you remember is that when he first came in, he was quite keen to stress that he didn't want to buy anyone over 24 because he wanted players on their first contract, similar to what Ralph Ranić said, perhaps it's the Leipzig Red Bull model, but he wanted young players in and he, he's, his view is you grow experience. Think of James Ward-Prowse. When Hasnazel took over, he was 23, 24, and now he's 27, 28, and he's got all that experience. So that's the way Hasnazel views it as well. So it's similar to the board. The issue is, is when you're in these tricky times, when you go to Spurs away and you can see two and three minutes, who are those experienced players? At the moment, it's James Ward-Prowse and Oriol Romeu. Romeu, it looks like he's going to be coming at the team. So there's a lot of burden on James Ward-Prowse as the only experienced player. And I think Hasenhutl knows that now, and hence why I think he's trying to change it towards the back end of this window. And he's looking for that experienced centre-back. Of course, Connor Cody was available. I think they were interested in him. So although the picture is bigger and they want to invest in this youth talent, they do realise, especially now, that they have to get some experience in. Obviously, the next couple of weeks is going to be crucial for them and, and, and they could turn things around in this window. But at the same time, if they do look for a different option, then how much of an impact is that going to have on the players that are already there? Because I think we see this so often when clubs panic and they think, oh, we've got to get a new manager in. But if your structure is so defined, like Southampton's is, like Brentford's is, like you know Leeds is to an extent, if your identity is so defined and then you try and flip that just to survive, that almost feels to me more of a risk than just sticking with Hassan Hudal in the first place. I don't think they'll flip it wholly. Um, they do have to obviously get some experience in, but what you'll realise is that since Sports Republic's come in, they've tried to take some of that autonomy off Hot Hartsnittal because before before the new club owners came in, he was in charge of everything. He, the way the academy played, the training sessions of the academy, everything was geared around Hartsnittal. So if he did leave, there'll be such a big hole, not only in the first team, but under 18s, 16s, 14s, etc. So it is one of those issues that Slampton needs to start preparing for the long run and life after Hartsnittal. And Hartsnittal wants 18 to 20 first team players with the rest supplemented from the B team. Obviously one of those Brentford ideas. At the moment, he's got 27 first team players. So that means eight, nine players are, are open to being sold. And a lot of them are still in the first team now. So it just feels at the moment, slams, until end of August, they are in a bit of a state of flux. They're still trying to strengthen as well. So there's a lot of manoeuvring and rewiring of the squad to do. There, I mean, I interviewed Martin Simmons last year for the BBC. And, and he said at that stage, they will have a list of who would be Hassan Hootel's replacement because that is due diligence. You'd be daft. And, and actually, at the time I spoke to him, Southampton were doing well and Hassan Hootel was doing well. So it wasn't a, is he under pressure? Are you going to get rid of him? Who are you looking at? It was, it was you know, accepted that all football clubs... Have. So they probably do have a plan of where they would go if they got rid of him. And what you have to do as well, Jacob, you've got to, you've got to applaud the club... Because they are open with fans. They do do events. And, and Hassan Hittel and Simmons were in a fans forum event for the BBC on, on Wednesday evening for the local radio station. And it's difficult to disagree with Simmons when he says, uh, what we need to do is get better in the best league in the world. And the best way to explain that is to get better quality. We need better players, but we have to be realistic that we can't buy better players who are 25. So we have to find the best young players in the world. Now, that makes sense until you take Flo's point that Forrest are going berserk. 
Exactly, and you've got to give credit to Slamton's hierarchy and Hartnett because they didn't have to do the fans forum in August on the back of a four-one defeat to Spurs with you know Ralph under you know significant pressure, but the way fans see it at the moment is three years ago Simmons even with uh, Jashane Gao the former owner's money they were looking at a top ten finish they wanted to push for the top 10 eventually and now it just seems like those ambitions have been scaled back because the league is getting better and it just feels like Southampton with their squad the lack of quality and it are getting left behind so now those ambitions are kind of leveled out they're now just staying in the Premier League this season and then perhaps with the young players who signed this summer they'll get better and perhaps they can incrementally grow as the seasons go on so it just feels like a little bit of a lack of ambition when the, the hope was when Sports Republic came in they would invest and they would drive the team forward. I think that's that's the issue is that under the pre- previous owner, you would say, OK, the model is sustainability because, uh, you know, he's not a sort of owner who's going to spend a lot of his own money in order to inflate, you know, the transfer budget um, and, you know, push push the rules as far as they can go. So that kind of makes sense. But then once a new owner comes in, you don't expect that same sort of approach to things because even though it's the most sustainable model and makes the most financial sense as a fan and understandably, you would just ask the question back at at him in the fans forum and say, but why? But why? Because you are a billionaire new owner that's come in. And obviously the answer is because we don't want to be stupid and just throw money down the drain. But at the same time, you would say, but why? Because you are ambitious new owner. You bought the club for something. What is it that you bought the club for if it's not to try and push them higher up the table now? Clearly, it's about acquiring assets and then, you know, selling those assets further down the line for more money, which is smart. You know, as a fan, you obviously want to see more than that. And if anything, Slams' youth policy, they've doubled down on it, actually, because there's been a times where, for example, Lavia, they could have signed this other player who had vastly more experience, 20, you know, 24, 25, over 100 appearances in the Bundesliga, and they chose Lavia because they felt if they could eventually sell him on, he'd be worth more money in the long run. So although you've got this great ambition, you've got this great future, like you say, Flo, Right now, Slamton need to stay in this league. And the fact is they've got a 20-year-old goalkeeper, you know, when Livermento comes back, 18, 19, the two centre-backs, 20, 23. Carl Walker-Peters is the most experienced in that back five at 24. And when you're in a relegation dogfight, this is quite precarious. But as a fan, I completely get it. You go, well, hang on a minute. Forrest are doing this and Villa have spent big again, haven't they? And so on and so forth. But the ownership group could go, well, hang on a minute, look at Everton. When Everton got the machinery investment and Everton went bam, 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 look at Everton at the moment as they really, you know, scrabbling to to bring players in because they can't afford it. And you could then say, well, Wolves haven't done a great deal or Leicester haven't done a great deal. So you can always, you can always balance it out. And maybe when you're bringing in this model and Brentford took time with this model, it does need time. But maybe it was easier for Brentford to have that time in the Championship than it is if you're Southampton in the Premier League. The other thing about Brentford, of course, Jacob, is whilst they did go young and they did go analytics, this and the other, their fortunes changed the summer that they brought in Pontus Janssen and went, Mm. we need some experience here, and then that took them up. Exactly, Chappers. You just think how much time have Southampton really got because, of course, you're going to give time to these young players, but this league, you're going to get swept away in it if you don't start performing quickly. Slampton fans aren't necessarily saying let's just buy a load of experienced players. They want a few just to offset the young experience. So they don't they, they think Romeo Lavia is a fantastic signing. Bella Kotchak, the young 20-year-old who made his debut on the weekend, really good signing. But could they have a Connor Cody next to him? 
You know, could you have just a mid- centre midfielder next to Lavia, especially when in those big games, when things get tough, when the, the team are getting overrun, just to double it down and just calm it down. So although their Slumsha fans are, you know, firmly supporting this young policy, yes, by youth, 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 like I keep saying, Emmanuel Dennis, could he be a possibility? Maxwell Corne, you know, he did a go for a lot. Slamson could have signed him too. And the worst place to be in as well in these next couple of weeks is desperate. Because when you see clubs getting desperate, that's when they panic and they start to buy all sorts of players and spending far too much money in order to survive. So it's going to be really interesting how they try and navigate the the rest of the transfer window, probably with Hassan Hootel, you know, as head coach. But you can really get caught up in your own panic, I think, in, especially in the summer transfer window. Especially when you've got, sorry, seven or eight players that Southampton want to kind of move out as well. But the problem is they didn't receive any offers in June or July for any of those players. So it is quite unstable in terms of exits as well. We'll round off recruitment and then we'll come on to Hassan Huzel. Just, just, just to round off the whole recruitment side of things, Joe Shields, the new head of recruitment, Tell us all about him, his appointment. He does appear to be going to the market that he knows quite well, although there are a lot of people who are doing that this summer. Yes, he's, he's young. I think he's only 35, so he's really young in you know, the recruitment game. Very highly thought of. He recruited Jadon Sancho at Man City, Michael Elise from Chelsea. He's 35. So he can resonate with these players and these young players' families. And the most important thing is that these young players' families trust him. So Romeo Lavi, he knew him really, really well. I keep using him as an example because he is the guy that is driving this Slampton USP. He left Man City, but they knew Joe Shields was coming into Slampton to replace Martin Clover, who's obviously now gone and leave to Leicester. Shields... If he's telling you something, it's it's not rubbish. It's true. He's going to be coming in, Premier League debut, first game of the season against Spurs. So Shields is this really quite creative figure. And although Slumsden had a list of potential candidates, they didn't mind using a young recruitment guy to drive the young policy. So I think it's really a good appointment and it's perfectly aligned with what Sports Republic are trying to do as well. I mean, it's not all 18, 19-year-old kids they've brought in, is it? I mean, Joe, Joe Aribo's 26. Joe Aribo, for example, has had has had some experience already. So it's not all, here's another 18-year-old. No, exactly. Joe Aribo, it's another one that Joe Shields knows quite well because Aribo came through London Grassroots Team, Kinetic Academy. Joe Shields, ear on the ground, he knows Kinetic Academy. He's got a club he owns in South London. So he's been following Aribo throughout his career. With Aribo, what's really key about him is he can play in so many positions and he's husband wants a player that can play three, four, five positions can carry out different remits, can press really well. And he just feel like it was the perfect signing. He was low cost, high reward. And you've seen in his first couple of games, you know, that Villarreal goal and even the goal on the weekend, he, he's really important and one of the few that you feel, you know, it can really pay off straight away. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with me, Mark Chapman. A reminder that we're dropping a new episode onto this feed four times a week. So when you're done listening to us today, why not go back and catch up with yesterday's episode. I was joined by Adam Crafton and Jay Harris uh, to discuss the fallout from Brentford's demolition of Manchester United over the weekend. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. 
Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, I'm Ian Irving, host of The Athletic's Manchester United podcast, Talk of the Devils. Join me, Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker every week, but particularly this week, as we gear up to the huge Liverpool game at Old Trafford on Monday night. We'll preview that match without paying any reference to our meeting with our rivals from last season, of course, and we'll also assess the latest twists and turns in Manchester United's roller coaster of a summer transfer window. You won't get better insight on United anywhere else, and as you'll find, you won't get better cocktails chat either. Just search for Talk of the Devils wherever you get your podcasts. So with us on this pod, Flo Lloyd-Hughes and the Athletic Southampton reporter Jacob Tanswell. Let's let's drill into Ralph Hasenhutl then and his coaching team. Go back to that answer right near the top, Jacob, about how they they replaced his coaching staff and kept him. Was he fully behind that? Did he accept that it was just part of the new owner's policy and it, it was a way of him keeping his job? How did it pan out? I think he was behind it because I think he realised that things were growing stale. And the fact is that Ralph has been the same voice for the last four years. He's been predominantly leading the session since Danny Roll, who was his assistant initially when he came in, left for Bayern Munich. And he's been coaching the same sessions, same players. And the issue is, is after three and a half years in such a way of playing where it's so intense, you know, so unforgiving... Players needed a new voice, and I think the hierarchy knew that. And he might not have been on board with it, but he accepted it. And I think Ruben Sellis, the new assistant manager, Samson had actually had an assistant manager for three years, which is quite crazy when you think about it. Harsin little mess him beforehand just to give you know the go-ahead. So he has got some say, but I think it's being driven by the hierarchy, by Rasmus Ankerson and Martin Simmons. Uh What I will say is that 
there needed to be a change. So I think the fact that they had a new coaching staff kind of gave a little bit of leeway to Arsenal because if they kept with the same coaching staff, Craig Fleming, Calvin Davis, Dave Watson, the goalkeeping coach who used to coach at England, I think there would have been more pressure on Arsenal to get it right this year. But he just felt that the coaching staff signalled a new change, a new change of direction and perhaps a little bit more breathing space for Arsenal too. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I don't think you see that very often. I mean, normally when a when a coach joins a club or or, or throughout their tenure, they always align themselves or bring in coaches that they've either worked with, know well, or you know come highly recommended, and they pick them. So I think to have them dropped in and, like Jacob said, maybe have the official signing off and have a coffee and say, "Yeah, this guy seems all right," is 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 a little bit bizarre. And I think it's really interesting what you wrote in your in your piece from the weekend, Jacob, about that water break and how that was a moment for them all to come together as coaches and they managed to have a positive outcome as a result of that. But I'm intrigued to see how that um, dynamic is progressing and the chemistry between them as coaches, because it's such an important group to be a part of. And, you know, we see all the best coaches in the world go to every single club and every single job with their little posse and their little Mm. crew and they keep them together. So to have that, completely disrupted over the summer and then said, right, you're going to have this guy from here, this guy from here, this guy from here. They're probably the best of the best and the recruitment's been phenomenal, but there's still that, you know, that that mixing of different personalities. And Ralph Hasenhutl seems like a bit of a... Uh, a power hungry guy and I don't mean that in a negative way but he's a control freak and so many managers are so I think it's probably hard for him as well this summer to, to understand that he has to relinquish some of that control I mean the fact that he doesn't have hadn't, hasn't had an assistant manager which I didn't even realise speaks of someone who likes to have you know control of everything so I'm sure it's been a, a slightly strange one for him yeah, it's important to know that when he did come in, though, he only brought one one person in, and that was Danny Roll, who left after seven months. So the coaches off that he did have were already at the club. Calvin Davis, for example, long, you know, he's been at the club for 10, 15 years, and he just came part of his coaching staff. So it wasn't like they were wedded to him, you know, so he could always be flexible. And one of the issues with him, it was either his way or the highway. And you see when Slams were losing 9-0 those couple of times, it was often just him on the touchline on his own, hands on hips. He, people didn't feel he was getting that support. So that water break the other day, I felt was really quite a seminal moment because they had that break and you saw that huddle, you know, three, four coaches all offering him different ideas. And I'm not sure that would have actually happened last year, for example. Before we come on to his tactics then, him as a personality, how, how is he viewed within the club. I mean, I've, I've always found him really interesting to, to talk to. I found him really interesting to interview. Let's not forget when he took the job, Southampton needed someone with personality. Southampton needed somebody to bring fans and team and manager together because they, they were they were flat, weren't they, Jacob, when, when, when he came in? And that first game at St Mary's and him going round everywhere and applauding and you felt, wow, there's a real unfit. Mm. And yet we hear on the other side at the moment, I have no idea how accurate these reports are, that he doesn't talk to some of the players. If he drops them, he doesn't explain it to them. You know, he cold shoulders them. Who is he as a man? Well, he's not the type to indulge players, let's put it that way. I think that's the reason why him and Danny Rowe were so successful, because Danny Rowe was a good cop, Ralph was a bad cop. And that first home game of his tenure against Arsenal, he was pumping fists after the game. He was doing laps of honour sometimes after wins. And you saw after the malaise of the Marcuse, Maurizio Pellegrino, Claude Poirier, which was just so stale, having that one-man band almost, just to pump up the the atmosphere, similar to what Jurgen Klopp did, has just, you know, absolutely galvanised the club. And I think that goodwill has been carried over for the last three or four years. Inside the dressing room, 
perhaps is a little bit different because you don't see what goes on behind the dressing room. And I think one of the reasons why is because he does have that cold shoulder. He doesn't indulge players. So when players have been working for him for three, four years, they're being asked to carry out the same type of pressing, same intensity with a threadbare squad really for the last couple of years, you kind of do need that warm shoulder sometimes. So perhaps, you know, that was one of the reasons why that report came out because some players, especially those that have been there throughout his tenure, might have been thinking we've kind of reached the end of our tether with him. I think I think it's a really hard one because um, he seems like quite a, an emotionally intelligent guy. I mean, I remember those scenes. I can't remember what match it was, Jacob, but you know the the, the first home game when fans came back after the pandemic. Yes. And he was visibly really emotional. Like he had tears tears in his eyes, and it was such an important moment for him to have the fans back and have that connection again. So he seems like quite a soft soul in a in a really nice. Uh, in a really nice way. So I'm surprised he has that kind of cold edge to to things because I, from the outside looking in, I would think he's actually quite approachable um, because he seems like quite an emotionally intelligent guy and he seems like someone who would who would really be kind of quite holistic and, 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 and looking out for players. So I'm intrigued as to why he has this kind of harsh, cold approach to things because that doesn't, that's not the impression I get. And like you said, Chappers, I think he's he's really amenable as well in, in interviews and things like that. He seems like such a friendly guy. So, mm. I wonder why he's kind of made this approach and why he thinks it works for him to be quite brutal when it comes to managing his players. And maybe there'll be a moment alongside his new coaching staff and with the leadership structure where someone will say, look, you know, we need you to actually be a bit more of a friendly, friendly figure towards these players. And and that could be a transformative moment because... For so many players, they they look for that in a squad. Like they look for that kind of almost fatherly figure or motherly figure to 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 look after them, and they need that guidance. Especially if you're literally working with teenagers. Like these guys yeah. are so young, and it, they really they they need that more than ever. And so I think it's it's quite a risk to have such a cutthroat approach to things because if you're one of the most talented young players in the world who has loads of players around the world wanting to sign you and if someone's going to treat you you know quite harshly you'd probably say well I'll go elsewhere then won't I well Th- Thomas Frank said to me that being a manager is like being a parent and looking after a load of children and you have to show them a lot of love at times and I spoke to Christian Norgard after Brentford beat Manchester United and I said is it like being managed by a parent? And he went, yeah, in many ways. <laughs> in many yeah, ways, many totally. Ways and Emma, yeah. Hayes is the, Emma Hayes is the same with, with, with Chelsea women. You know, a lot of the players look to her as a bit of a, a mother figure. And in these players, you know, a lot of them are travelling from the other side of the world to join these clubs. And then some of them, you know, are, are barely 18. They need that support and guidance. Yeah, but they also, uh, you know, as a parent, they also need absolutely rollicking at times. <laughs> so it's about knowing it's about, <laughs> it's about knowing when to do, when to do which one. Joking. Yeah, you're right, and it goes back to the point of he's been a one man band for so long, and I just feel sometimes, although he's a really friendly guy and quite an honest guy, he internalizes emotions too much. He gets swept away. So when things are going wrong, if you know back to back defeats, it tends to become quite insular because he hasn't got that sounding board in the coaching staff, and that's why perhaps he looks quite cold and unapproachable to his players. So perhaps with this new coaching staff, with a bit of new positivity, I've heard that Ruben Sellers, the assistant manager, is already really well liked with the players. You know, he improve him defensively although it hasn't actually paid off yet but perhaps he could be the change of approach that Harsilton needs just to counterbalance him let's um let's hear from Raf Honigstein because we asked Raf about what Ralph Hasenhutl's reputation is like in Germany whether it's taken a hit over the last 12 months or so 
Uh, Fasnachtl is still very highly rated in Germany, although perhaps not quite as highly as in 2017 when he finished runners-up with Abby Leipzig in his first year and indeed the club's first year at that level. Back then there was talk of Bayern Munich being interested, Dortmund had a, had a view. But then the second season wasn't all that great and he left and since then I think he's been off the radar a little bit. Southampton don't attract a lot of media interest. Their performances and results are neither here nor there. And while I think he would be in a conversation for mid-table clubs with ambitions to go higher, the likes of, shall we say, Wolfsburg or Borussia Mönchengladbach, I think it's hard to see a way back into one of the very top sides for him at the moment. But I think his stature in the game is such that he will get an offer and he will have a way back in the Bundesliga, but then will probably have to prove himself all over again. We've, we've spoken then, Jacob, about... Hassan Hutel, the man. Hassan Hutel, the coach, the tactician. How have Southampton changed over the last 12, over the course of last season? How did Southampton change? And then how have they changed on the early evidence of the first two games this season? If you look at the stats, there's been a gradual downslope in press and intensity, whether that's because he's the same coach, the same players, who knows? But there's a feeling halfway through last season where he had been burnt one too many times you can't keep conceding five six goals the two nine nil defeats you've got to be a little bit more pragmatic and so his bread and butter you know attribute in his coaching is his pressing style you know the gay compressing the counter pressing he's dialed that back he's changed from his four two 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 which you know fans loved and loathed at times and he's gone to a back three and fans really don't like it now because you're not seeing the things that got them excited in the first place you're not seeing that pressure from the front all the time you're not seeing them go to toe with these big clubs the issue is is that they put a little bit more pressure on the defence to stay firm and the back three they don't exactly look the most cohesive unit so he, he's changed but it's because he doesn't trust his defenders to defend 1v1 like he used to he used to go all over the pitch 1v1 lock on high press and now he just he just feels like we can't keep doing this because otherwise the same results are going to happen so it's going to be interesting to see if he sticks with this especially after Leeds where he actually went back to his old formation in the last 20 minutes and came from two goals down so against Leicester is he going to stick with that back three I think that's the most important question heading into it it's a good time as well, I think, to be playing Leicester because they're in a, a slightly similar predicament. I think they're a bit of a crossroads. Or a, or a bad time flow if you make a yeah, riffance of it. Yeah, true. Um, but I, I feel like... Um, I feel like Southampton are more likely to turn a corner than Leicester right now. And that's not just because I want Jacob to be slightly less stressed over the next coming weeks. I truly do think that is more of a possibility because I think there is more of a sense of direction there. And I think there is, even though there are, you know, a bit of frustrations within the dressing room, I think there's less of a kind of dressing room revolt brewing than there is probably at Leicester with some of those senior characters that they have at that club and so many players wanting out and so many players feeling like, they're being stopped from getting a big move. So I do think I do think it'll be a good opportunity for Southampton um, to try and build some momentum. Um, and you know, the next couple of weeks, the transfer window, they, they might be able to get the players they need. But how many other teams are looking for a decent, reliable mm. centre forward in the 20 million mark who can get them double figures goals? I mean, it is a pretty hard market out there for those sorts of players. Do they fancy Ronaldo, Jacob? <laughs> Well, they're not pressing anymore, so he might be suited, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Um, it's not all doom and gloom, is it? No, it's not. If you've just seen Romeo Lavi's last two performances, I think there's a real you know, cause for optimism. And you saw those last 20 minutes when they're on the front foot, they can still overload teams and they can still be in that horrible in-your-face team that Harsons was 
teams have always been and always been associated with, you know, they've become a little bit too passive. And if they can get back to that, especially the energy they've got, uh, who knows, they could be a better team. But they still lack that incisive clinical striker up top. So there's a feeling that they need to get back to over at working teams to be successful. Wonder what you both think here t- to finish. We see we see this so many times a season with various clubs. Are Southampton one of those clubs who are in that each individual result at the moment is going to change the mood around the place? Are they? Are, you know, is it? Are they one result from ripping the whole thing up? Despite no matter how much they plan and this, that, and the other, it it feels like they're living. And certainly the fans as well, I suppose, in their moods are living week by week, game by game at the moment, Flo. It depends what ripping it all up means. I think they are very close to getting rid of Ralph Hausenhutl, but if I don't know if that quite means... Yeah, that's means... what I meant. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, I meant. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I, th- I think they are. I think they are. I think they are. And, and you know, from what I've read of, of Jacob's pieces and, and Ollie Kay's piece as well on, on the recruitment, it, it seems like they are close to the edge and, and having a look at a few kind of fan blogs and things like that on Twitter to try and get a gist of the general mood on the fa- of the fan base it certainly feels like they're going that way it's a lot of kind of like you know like Jacob said why aren't we bidding for this guy why aren't we bidding for that guy you know like we're not playing well and I think that result against Leeds has certainly you know got spirits raised a little bit but I do think they are on the edge at the moment. I think so too. I don't think they'll rip everything up. They'll still keep the same recruitment strategy. It's just the the guy in charge of the team that could change because I was there when they went 2-0 down and the mood felt like this was the end for, for Hasen at all. It really did. I think the mood was just become apathy. Just like, you know, people who don't hate Hasen, they think he's done an unbelievable job and I do too. I think what he's done to keep this Southampton group in the, in, in the Premier League with this quality is quite nothing short of remarkable. But it just feels like, especially if you go away to Leicester and you lose 2-3-0, those questions are going to be asked and you know he could be his job could be on the line then but if he goes the rest of the coaching staff will stay because of what they've done over the summer you'd assume so yes and I think mm. that's one of the reasons why the club were quite keen to appoint Sellers although you know as we said Hartson gave him the yes I think he would perhaps stay and he to take over on an interim basis uh, Jacob Flo thank you very much remember for the very latest on Southampton and indeed every Premier League team head to The Athletic you can subscribe for just a pound a month at the moment for the first six months go to theathletic.com slash football pod and then stay tuned to this podcast feed as tomorrow uh, we'll have a brand new episode for you uh, I'd love to tell you what's on it but we haven't decided yet but it'll be available from the afternoon The Athletic <laughs>